Welcome to the latest podcast of Senator Leafs Nation. This is Pat LaRusso, and I'll soon be joined by Lucas Agenti and Anthony Sino. And we'll be answering your questions submitted by all our followers on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, and we'll be discussing how we're all passing our COVID blues and what new hobbies and activities we've now taken up and much, much more. So welcome to the latest podcast of Senator Reeves Nation. I have Lucas Ugenti and Anthony Sino with me. Uh, we'll be discussing how we've been managing through this COVID self-quarantining situation we all find ourselves in. Um, and we'll also get to some of our uh, follower questions um, that we received through our mailbag. Uh, so welcome, gentlemen. How are things going? Uh, that's best they can go. <laughs> excellent, excellent. You? Uh, things are going well. Um, it's been an interesting transition from being able to watch sports and go to your favorite watering hole to now being stuck in a, you know, in a small little office to record our podcast has been an interesting transition, needless to say. Um, so first, what I would like to do is, is kind of give, um, Anthony, our newest team member, an opportunity to introduce himself. I know all of you who have read his latest blogs and have given us you know, a lot of really positive feedback, but here's Anthony's opportunity now uh, to kind of introduce himself, kind of explain a little bit of his background, and and uh, Anthony, you know, take it off. Thanks, Pat. So, um, um, first off, just want to uh, introduce myself again. So, like Pat said, Ant- my name's Anthony, a uh, fellow lifelong Leafs fan. Um, basically, uh, joined this team because I sense that... Uh, you two crazy Leaf fans were just as crazy as me. And uh, I thought uh, craziness comes is stronger in packs. So <laughs> basically, uh, when Leaf, Leaf Nation uh, bands together, and I just thought, you know what? You get to talk about the Leafs on your free time. Um, why not join a rambunctious team like, uh, like Center Leaf Nation to, uh, to act as an outlet for all the talk and all the... Uh, all the thoughts inside my brain every time the Leafs are playing, um, and it's just been fantastic so far. It's been great. Um, not as great season for the Leafs, but I've had a great time talking about them with uh, both of you gentlemen. So thank you for having me on the team, and uh, excited to see what continues on uh, moving forward. Most definitely, most definitely. So let's start with kind of how you guys have been handling this self-isolation or quarantining or however you want to you know, label it these days. Um, so, Lucas, you know, want to kind of let our listeners know what you've been up to and kind of how you've been able to cope? Uh, yeah. Um, truthfully, it didn't hit me until school finally ended. Uh, once all the essays and exams ended, it, uh, reality really set in solely because, you know, I don't have much much more to do. Papers take up a lot of time. Exams took a lot of time. So that was different. That took some uh, adjusting. But now I'm pretty much just playing Xbox and trying to stay healthy, trying to stay active, dominating in HL 20. Still yet to win a cup with the Leafs. I don't see that coming anytime soon. <laughs> Still don't have a right shot. Top two defensemen. Um, but that'll come. That'll come. Hopefully this now increases because right now I am struggling. Very realistic. 
That's crazy. That's crazy. And Anthony, how have you been coping during these, um, you know, unfamiliar times for many of us? I'm pretty, uh, pretty standard. Once I got into a routine, like, uh, like you said, it's, it takes some adjusting, obviously, when you're just, you're just not used to being home as much as, uh, as much as I am right now. But, um, it's been pretty well considering, like, I've just been trying to keep myself busy, uh, doing, uh, virtually anything, uh, whether it be, uh, physical activity, um, doing some side projects out in the backyard. Um, I'm done school now, so none of that has really, uh, uh, I just, I'm imagining myself being in school and how much of an adjustment uh, it would be like Lucas's scenario, but it um, it's just going to be crazy, like, it's crazy times and I don't expect to end soon, so getting adjusted to it uh, as early as possible is definitely the best strategy. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I think I jokingly said to some of my friends when they asked me what I've been doing, I, I, I jokingly now say I've broken Netflix. Um, I think I've watched anything that you could possibly want to watch. Um, and you know what, I want to first throw out uh, thank you to our followers uh, who participated in the, uh, in the poll of what classic TV show I should be watching. Um, so thank you all for choosing The Wire. I'm now you know almost done season two. It's a great show. Um, I got myself into watching The Hunters, um, a few documentaries uh, on Netflix, which I've been, you know, I finished, finally finished watching Narcos, Mexico, which is a really good show on Netflix, um, and then just really refocusing on the blog, you know, I want to throw out a, a special thank you uh, to my friend Nick Dotto, who designed our brand new logo, so working on getting, you know, all our rebranding done, um, and two, I still work my nine to five, it's been an, a, an interesting adjustment for me working remotely, not really hanging, you know, being able to see my teammates and, and have proper sales meetings and so on. But that's been a little bit of an adjustment. But, you know, I'd like to thank my team for getting us all set up on Zoom and being able to have like these really funny sales meetings every Friday. So that's kind of kept me sane during the last uh, six to eight weeks now that I've been working remotely. So, and mind you, the only plus of working remotely is my commute from my home office to my couch is a lot shorter than my office to my home so i'm grateful for the for the short commute home but uh so now let's get to the real topics that uh, we're going to be looking at uh, covering in this podcast you know if about a week ago you know i threw out the invite to you know collect some of our followers questions and we got some really good gems uh that we've received through twitter through facebook and through instagram um so i'm going to lead this off anthony i'll have you answer the first question and then we'll throw it to Lucas. But uh, besides Sandine, who's was or is your favorite Maple Leaf? So this one pulled on the heartstrings a little bit because Sandine is my favorite Maple Leaf. Um, I was born just around the time that he joined the Leafs. I was uh, I idolized uh, I idolized him like emphatically. He was. Uh, he wore the number, uh, his jersey number was the day that I was born, so it just was even more of a reason to wear number 13, uh, playing hockey and soccer growing up. Um, it was, it, he represented basically everything I wanted, I wanted to be uh, as a hockey player, as an aspiring young hockey player. And 
definitely was my favorite lead. So I'm just going to do that as kind of like a clarifier uh, to everyone listening. But um, aside from him, I think the lead that I'm uh, emotionally attached to in terms of his story um, uh, throughout this organization and Obviously, I'm, you know, I, I limited it to kind of um, my era of watching the Leafs. So um, any time really after 2000 till now, and it's Naz and Kadri um, for me. Naz represented basically kind of the the uh, the ebbs and flows of this organization in terms of uh, what could go so very wrong for someone to what could and how they can bounce back after being uh, knocked down so many times. And Naz totally represented that. Um, he was the first player that I can really recall uh, in the first round, at least, where you drafted, developed him, and uh, and he had his, uh, his struggles, but he developed into a, a fantastic player, turned himself from just a point-producing junior player to one of the best two-way centers in the game and definitely one of the meanest um, and and it, it was a pretty bad. Sh- it's a shame that his uh, his last game as a Leaf ended the way it did. And uh, and I'm just like everyone else. I blame him solely for that series loss last year. I think that he's in there. I think he. I, I do. I'm I'm sorry. I think he's the reason they lost that series. If he's I was in at there, that game, eh? yeah, I know. I know. I know you were in Boston. There. What a game to go to. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's so sad that it ended that that way because I really do think that he just wore his heart on his sleeve and his parents, and it was it, it was just a really bad way to end his career. But I will still remember him for his uh, his bounce back, uh, his his willingness to bounce back from the the haters. We'll say. Oh, oh boy, did he have haters! But you know what, truthfully, <laughs> I love Nas. I love Nas. Always will love Nas. Uh, I would say he's up there. If there was a top three, if there was a Mount Rushmore of favorite league players, he would 100% be on it for me. Um, obviously, it's Sundin. I think anybody born in uh, my generation would say it's Sundin. It's, it's, it's classic. He was the ultimate leaf, will always be the ultimate leaf, uh, from our, our generation at least. Um, but if I, if I had to choose someone other than Sundin, it's, it's kind of a funny one. You know, it might, might make people's head scratch a little bit, but mine was Luke Shen, uh, believe it or not. Drafted in 2008 supposed to be the savior on the blue line for the Leafs who were at that time also starving for talent also starving for defensemen ironic how life comes full circle but um, yeah he was he was their savior he was supposed to be a, a hell of a player for them he was drafted really high uh, you know I was at a point in my in my career where I kind of wanted to be Luke Shen um, just a big boy hard hitter uh, clearly wasn't the best turned out to be that but uh, you know what that could have been Toronto's pressure too because he still carved out a pretty decent career in the NHL um, but at the end of the day, I was a massive Luke Shen fan. I had his jersey. I got a jersey for Christmas, which was really cool. Uh, I think it was a C- CCM or Reebok. It might have been the CCM, the one. So. It might have been Reebok, actually. Now, because I remember, because when he, he was in draft in 2008, they had that jersey that they didn't have the stripe on the on the waist, remember? Right, yeah. right, right, right. I, I believe that's the one I have. I remember that. You're probably right. Either way, it, uh, it definitely would be Luke Shen. And I mean, there's... There's a bunch. If there was a, if it was a Mount Rushmore, it'd be a lot, uh, really easy to answer. Um, but I think going through the last 20 years, I, I'm gonna have to say Luke Shen. Other than the obvious ones, which are Matthew, Marner, Tavares, Riley, Anderson, the whole team. 
How about you, Pat? Um, so for myself, I was kind of torn. Um, you know, I think the obvious and, and recency bias um, would, would lean towards Matthews being my favorite player. Um, just the way he kind of came on the scene with his, you know, his first game, four goals. Um, and then just watching him knock down Leafs records like they're dominoes um, has been phenomenal. I think we also saw a lot of personal growth from him. Like I know he had a pretty rough summer um, from a personal perspective, but he came in, had a little bit of a, a slow start, and then just caught on fire. Um, so it was good to kind of see him progress and mature. Um, and you're starting to see uh, an Austin Matthews that's a little bit more comfortable in front of the camera as well. Um, but even with all that said, I got to go with Grandpa uh, for Leafs Nation, and that was Johnny Bauer. Um, there was just a level of class. Um, there was a level of, there was still like that Leafs dynasty that was still tied to him. Um, and that Leafs lore and history that, you know, when you look back at all the people that came kind of after him and up until more recent times, um, the Leafs really struggled, you know, just through the Harold Ballard era and, and just how he dismantled the franchise for many years. And, and through it all, you know, probably even through some mistreatment of the organization, you know, Johnny Bauer stuck with it, you know, always represented the team, you know, at different fan events. So, you know, I have to give it to Grandpa uh, for Leafs Nation. But then, you know, from a more recent perspective, I'm going with Austin Matthews, um, just where he's taken the Leafs, where he's taken his career. Um, you know, I was looking up some of the, the possibilities of him taking over the franchise lead in points. And, you know, at his current point pace, we're probably looking at nine and a half seasons um, before he breaks Matt Sundin's record. So, you know, it's, the sky's the limit for the kid. If we weren't looking at a shortened season or a postponed season, um, you know, he may have even broken the single season record for Leafs goals uh, that's currently held now by Rick Five. Um, so, yeah, I kind of have two, so I will be greedy, boys. My apologies. But uh, I'm going to go with Johnny Bauer and Austin Matthews. Great answer. Um, so now we're going to lead to another interesting question that we received, I believe, through our Instagram. And it was, who's the best Leafs prospect not named Nick Robertson? So I'll throw this out to you, uh, Lucas, to start. Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs have, have a ton of depth. Um, I, I would assume at this point it's pretty well known. Uh, the Marlies won the Calder Cup two years ago. Uh, what a team that was. I know a lot of guys graduated to the NHL, actually. But uh, for the most part, their depth has remained pretty consistent. Um, and I actually didn't want, I didn't want to go through some of the more obvious ones. So I found a guy uh, that was drafted in 2018. Uh, Kyle Dubas' first year as GM named Riley Stock. He was a third rounder. Um, and there's a ton of upside here. And the reason I choose him is, tr is truthfully because he's a center. Um, and I know that's, that's a unique position for the Maple Leafs right now because they actually have a ton of centers. Uh, but the reason why I chose him, honestly, is because of how well he has improved in the WHL with the Calgary Hitmen. Um, you know, started out at just under a point a game. And this past year, I know it ended because of COVID and whatnot, but he had 64 games played and 68 points. Uh, and the reason I find that so unique is because majority of his points came with assists. Uh, he's been pretty consistent goal scoring wise, you know, hovering around the 20 to 25 range, but his assists have con continuously improved. Um, and the reason why I find that so important is because Toronto takes a lot of chances with their fourth line centers. Um, obviously, they haven't nailed one down yet because Kerfoot is versatile at this point with all the injuries they had. You know, they kind of went up and he kind of went up and down the lineup. Um, I don't see Stott making a, an NHL appearance anytime soon. However, I do think the fact that he improved improved a ton in the WHL um, 
you know, opens the eyes for the Leafs general manager and the Leafs organization to see what he can do as a Marley. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I think there's a, there's a ton of upside with this guy. Um, I just don't, I don't see him making the Leafs anytime soon. But needless to say, Jerry Bracco has taken a very long time. And, you know, he could be a good asset in the future. And at the end of the day, if Dubis does a good job drafting like he has done so far, why not take a shot on a guy like such? Most definitely, most definitely. And Anthony, who would be your prospect to keep an eye on? Um, I think for, for me, um, I'm going to stick to the CHL as well. Uh, same, same as you, Lucas. Um, I'm going with Mikhail uh, Abramov. Uh, pardon uh, the mispronunciation if I did so. But um, just quickly want to touch on what Lucas said about Riley Scott. Um, I think, Luke, you, ma- you mentioned a great point about you don't see him... Uh, you don't see him making the NHL anytime soon, but it made me uh, think of something in my head about um, something that I wanted to say about Kyle Dubas um, currently. And uh, this might go on a little bit of a quick tangent here. Sorry, uh, guys, but I think Dubas, we're going to start noticing, and he's kind of already implemented this, but you're going to start noticing it a lot more, is that he's going to make this organization run a lot more like a baseball team. And uh, for for sorry to go into another sport, but if you guys haven't, uh, if you guys don't follow baseball, basically they like to use their system. Um, they like to use basically every farm team possible, and uh, it's very unique in the NHL to use your ECHL uh, affiliate as a developmental tool. And um, I've seen, we've seen it now. There, I think they did it with a guy named Justin Brazil, who they signed out of North Bay. Um, and he, he didn't even sign an um, entry-level contract with the NHL. He signed an AHL contract, and they sent him to Newfoundland. And uh, he played with the Growlers. And I think you're, and I think Stotts has that kind of similar path where I think the Leafs, maybe you're not going to see these guys sign NHL deals right away and go straight to the Marlies. I think we're going to start seeing them kind of go through that process where they're going to graduate from junior hockey, they're going to go to the ECHL, and then they're going to, they're going to, everyone's going to go through the same step-by-step process to get to the NHL. And I think that's fantastic. Um, you brought up a good point there, and I think, Luke, you might want to say something. On the other no, side. I, yeah, I just want to say I completely, completely agree with you. And, and just to touch to that point, you, you mentioned about using the whole development system. Um, a guy named James, James Greenway would actually be a good example of that, about how Toronto uses their, their system, because he's been up and down between the Growlers and the Marlies all year. Um, there's a little bit of upside with him too, and it was just unique that how often they switch between the Growlers and the Marlies because they have that uh, availability. And I actually do wonder how many teams do that. I, I don't know the actual answer, but yeah, I, I don't follow the other teams on how where their prospects are, but I do I do think that's a fantastic tool. Is that you only you're only limited to 50 NHL contracts, right? So if the Leafs can become an attractive place to uh, developmental-wise uh, for these prospects where, you know what, maybe they're not going to sign the lucrative NHL deal, but you get them on, a, on an AHL contract, you get them in your system, you develop them, and you just and you see where they go, right? Like you turn, like Trevor Moore. Trevor Moore is a perfect example. Undrafted free agent out of, the, out of college. They sign him, and he ends up becoming a productive player. I think, I want, I don't quote me on this, but I want to say that he started an ECHL. He moves on to the AHL, he becomes a productive AHL player, makes the NHL, and then he's one of the key uh, trade pieces that brings uh, a backup goalie in, uh, in Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford to this lineup. Right? Like yep. it, it's, it, it's the dividend that we won't see maybe in the near future, but 
Um, down the line, I think this is it's a great strategy. But anyway, sorry, but sorry for that little tangent, boys. But um, back to Mikel uh, Abramov. I really like this kid. I think he's he is over overly excelled my expectations for. I think he was a fourth round pick last year by Dubis. Um, five eleven, so not the biggest, but definitely not uh, a small. Um, a small centerman, but he's got he's got some muscle to put on. I think he's about only one sixty, but he scored thirty six goals or thirty five goals. Sorry, this season in sixty three games, mm-hmm. seventy six points. Mm-hmm. But that to me that that doesn't uh, necessarily tell the whole story. I think the the best uh, the best uh, factor in in his performance is that he kind of did it alone on his on his team in Victoriaville. When you look at the this team stats, the the next person, the next closest person in terms of points is forty one. The guy had seventy six points in sixty three games, and the team wasn't that good. So it just goes to show you that the kid has exceptional talent, and he actually just signed with the Leafs uh, on an entry level deal um, this past month. Like I think the guy's going to be fantastic. Um, under, we got him in the fourth round, so if he turns out to be a third line center for this team. That's fantastic value. I have really high hopes for him. He's got a wicked shot. He's silky smooth hands. Um, I think people are going to really like him. And for myself, it's funny that um, the question we received was who's the best prospect not named Nick Robertson. Because I'm going to go with his teammate in Peterborough and go with Semyon Deer Arguchinsev. Um, or Good S- luck. <laughs> or SDA as he's been known on Twitter. Um this kid has come on the last couple of years. I think the last time I checked, um, right before the season ended, um, he was either at a point per a point per game pace or just over it. Um, kind of when you heard Nick Robertson's name, you kind of heard Simeon's name as well. Um, both of them seem to be the engines of that Peterborough Pete's offense. Um, and he could be another one of these picks. You know, I know people got so hung hung up on his size. Um, but I think that the Leafs are going to need to start looking for cheaper options on the third and fourth line. And what better way than fill those spots with young kids coming up on entry-level contracts. So, you know, I definitely see him kind of taking that natural progression. He's probably about another year out and then maybe either with the Growlers or with the Marnies for a couple of years. Um, but that's definitely a kid that I want to keep an eye on. And, um, you know, it would be kind of cool to have that additional pairing. Um, coming up the leaf system, you know Matthews kind of has Nylander, Tavares is Marner. Um, could Nick Robertson's be SDA? You know it. It'll be interesting to watch. Um, they had a lot of chemistry together in Peterborough, so that would be something that um, you know I would definitely be keeping an eye on over the next few years, especially. Um, now to a player that has essentially won the hearts of Leafs Nation. Um, kind of came in in one of those sleeper trades back a few years ago. Um, and that's our boy, Zach Hyman. Um, I know the expectations on him were really low, even in the first year of his career here in Toronto. You know, I know a lot of people kind of just saw him just as a mucker on that line uh, with Nylander and Matthews, but he seems to have created a niche for himself. Um, so, you know, guys, on your opinion, what has made Hyman so good? And what does a contract look like for him? So I'll throw this to Anthony. Okay, so um, obviously, just to echo what you said, Pat, Hyman is 
if if you if he hasn't proven himself as a top six forward in the NHL, um, you I think it's now people are it's it's very similar to knee the Nylander argument, but on a on a lesser extent, I would say, and a less uh, um, a little bit less noisy in terms of the uh, the, pol- uh, the polarizing arguments that could be made about Nylander that were made about Nylander. Sorry, but Hyman he he basically he turned himself into okay, why is this third-line checker playing beside our first overall pick uh, who's scoring at a pace um, where he's basically next to Alexander Ovechkin in terms of five-on-five goals and Mike Babcock's putting this guy, putting this third-line checker from the University of Michigan on the line. Um, but he was, I, I actually read it earlier. He was Kyle Dubas' first trade as an interim GM. They were kind of in limbo between uh, when they were looking for uh, Lou Lamoureux just prior to hiring him. Yeah, I think so. He, he, I think in 2015, Mark Hunter and Dubis tag team the GM role, and just before that, that's when Dubis uh, made the trade, Greg McKegg for Dak Hyman. This turned what out to trade. be one of the best trades of this era. Yeah, I was gonna say that has like, to be right. That has to be one of the best trades. Maybe the Anderson trade by Lou. Um, the Muzzin trades up there by Dubis again. Like it, 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 he's just he is he is exactly what this fan base uh, loves in a player. Um, people say Toronto white collar city. Well, you know what? They love their blue collar hockey players, and Zach Hyman is not just a blue collar hockey player. Frankly, that doesn't tell the whole story. He has been he is developing. Um, fantastically, and he's, I think he's 27, like, he, the guy can do yeah. to get better, right? Like, and yeah. uh, I think he'll be 28 in June, but it's, he's just proof that um, he still needs uh, needs different aspects to a line, right? I always say, like, when, you, when you're constructing the line, you need, you need someone to go get the puck, and it, you need someone to get the puck, and you need to put it in your skilled player's hands. And that's why I think that Hyman Matthews Nylander line, they should have reunited it a little bit earlier this season. I think the way Nylander was playing, Matthews was on a torrid pace. I just think that if you reunite those three, that could be one of the best lines in the league. And 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 I don't think that's uh, that is uh, um, an understatement. Luke, do you want to uh, do you want to touch on this quickly? I do have some, something else to say about his contract, but. Maybe we could talk about what makes him so good first. Uh, yeah, I mean he's got he's got a ton of skill sets, um, and I think the best part is that he doesn't try and try and do more than he has to. Um, I mean it's, he's in the NHL, so it's pretty obvious he has hands and he has he has skill. Uh, but what I like about him is that he's not afraid to chip the puck in and actually go get it. It's not just chip the puck in, you know, rely on someone else. It's, he's going to be the first man on the puck. He's going to he's going to actually knock down defensemen and he's actually going to win the puck. Um, and I think that's one of the one of the most important pieces, especially on that line. When, when you dump the puck in and all you got to do is look to pass the puck to Austin Matthews or William Nylander, you're going to do all right and you're going to accumulate points no matter what. Um, but in saying that, I don't believe that those two were the, were the sole reason why Jaime did so well. I think he did a good job in creating space for himself. Um, I also think he did a very good job at, at scoring on the opportunities that were given. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious he didn't waste an opportunity. And I think that's what makes him so important, kind of like the Chris Kunis-esque, where it's just... You know, he's, he's, I don't mean physicality-wise, I mean just kind of that type of player where it's, oh, we need a goal, where's it coming? Zach Hyman's going to score a goal. You know, Zach Hyman's going to get an empty netter to, to seal the deal. Zach Hyman's going to 
outwork the other uh, other team's defensemen and get that puck for the Stars. And I think a lot of that stuff actually matters um, in the locker room more than it does on paper or, or than it actually translates on paper. Uh, because he's like a, he's like a modern day NHL grinder. He's a modern day fourth liner that has a ton of skill that can play on the first second line. Um, in comparison to where his contract will be, I genuinely don't know because he was on pace to score 30 goals this year, I believe. Um, what do you, you pay a 30 goal scorer that technically was a fourth liner at one point? I don't know. You don't know if he's ever going to be able to do it again. I assume playing with Nylander, playing with Matthews, that he can. Um, so I, I don't want to give false numbers. I assume that he he will get close to, if not more, what's happening in Janssen got. Um, and I'm not even saying that solely off skill. I'm saying that off, off everything that he does outside of what he does on the ice. Um, and he say, he claims he wants to be a Toronto Maple, Maple Leaf forever. So let's hope that plays into it. Let's hope there's a bit of a hometown discount. But uh, I do hope he's a Maple Leaf for a very long time because he's he's uh, slowly working his way into that, that Mount Rushmore of, of my favorite Maple Leaf. Yeah, he's definitely... He was like one of those like ones that you... I think when his first year, year and a half... Um, he wasn't everyone's cup of tea. You know, you both have touched on it. Like, everyone kept asking, you know, why was... If, if, if there's ever one good decision Babcock made during his coaching was giving Hyman that role with Matthews and Nylander, I think it even helped because he was the, the, the elder on that line. I think he also taught Matthews and Nylander a little bit more of that work ethic as well. Um, you know, knowing... Like, he, he was essentially was that grinder. You know, and, and that yep. guy that would do a lot of the dirty work. He was more physical than the other two. Um, and now you're starting to see with William Nylander and with Matthews a rounding out of their game. Um, and it just it just seems to just parallel with, with Hyman's growth. And Hyman's like one of those like utility knives. You could place him on any line. He'll kind of create a niche for himself on that line. Like He was just as successful with Tavares and Marner. As you always, Matthews and Nylander, but then he's amazing on the power, you know, on the penalty kill. Um, you know, it just he just seems to fit no matter where you put him. He seems to be very low maintenance. He doesn't have an attitude. Um, he's great with the community. Always, you know, at all the different functions the team has. So just I think when fans look at a player, they kind of look at just not only on ice stuff, but some of the off ice stuff, and he seems to just fit that role model that that additional face um, to the franchise that uh, I think was lacking um, when there was that transition from the kessel Fanof era uh, to this new group of players. I, I completely agree, Pat. You touched on it there. Where, like, the, uh, just off the, the off-ice stuff as well, um, I just think that he's been doing, he's, he's doing everything um, that, that will, um, that will make himself loved by this fan base. Just he like not forget the on ice stuff for a second here. Is that like how do you not like the guy? The guy writes children's books, like children's he's books. Fan. He's a fit. He's a fitness freak, right? And he he's he's very uh, he's very active on the on the video game scene, um, especially during this quarantine. I know. I think yeah, he sucks though in the in the NHL. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, Aside from the skills on the on the on the stick, the controller stick, uh, so to speak, pardon the pun. Nice, but um, nice. Uh, oh, punny. He, uh, he, uh, he, I just, I, I love his skill set because he's willing to go get the puck. Um, just to, to shoot off some stats here. Um, I don't want to get too technical here. Um, but just when I was thinking about his contract after his, the 2020-21 season. 
right? Like, he, right, I think his season this year, I uh, don't want to rag on the guy, and I don't want anyone to take as a negative, uh, negative slouch on him, but he had the highest shooting percentage uh, for this season out of his entire NHL career. He averages 12% shooting percentages uh, on a career uh, on a career basis, but this season he was hovering around 20%. That's second in the NHL. Unbelievable. Um, I don't. And I, yeah, and I don't mean. And I I think that's fantastic because he he has one of the highest individual uh, expected goals uh, in the league. Right. I think he's 22nd in the league in expected goals over the last three seasons, and. Uh, or sorry, he's 24th, and 23 guys is probably the best player of our generation, Sidney Crosby. So when you when you start to dig deeper into these stats, you just you, you notice the impact that he has on the game, and 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 it's fantastic. The only thing that I caution uh, fans on when they're thinking of maybe giving this guy, let's say, five million, six million over uh, over a two plus year term, is that that shooting percentage will go down. Um, I think he's on pace for like 30, 30 plus, you said, lose goals, but that's going to go down. We saw it with Andreas Janssen this year. Andreas Janssen was rocking an unsustainable shooting percentage last year. And I said it then, and, uh, and, I, and I still said it now, that when people were arguing about who to trade, Janssen or Kapanen, I said Janssen because he was going to go down in, in terms of uh, production. And I'm afraid that might happen with Hyman, but... Look, I'd be happy to eat my own words, and if he can put up another sixty points on a in the top six this year, you're you're probably looking at five five six million. I was looking at some comparables. Um, you're looking at you're looking at that number, and maybe the hometown discount you get him down to four million on maybe a two three year deal takes him to thirty three years old. Um, when you use cap friendly, I love that tool. Um, you, that leaves us about five million and change if the cap goes up a couple million to sign a sign a top pairing defenseman and a fourth line center. And I that's assuming we traded Johnson, lost Engvall in the expansion draft. There's a lot of assumptions there, but um, just projecting that out, I think that's as much as we can pay him. He's got to stay under five million, or else this, or else we're going to have to be looking at other people that we need to trade and. I think that he's willing to do it. Like he said it in an interview that he that he wants to be a leaf forever. And if, if Dubis goes to him and says, "Look, back, this, this is a one and a half million dollar raise," um, we obviously can offer as many endorsements as you like. Isn't he in the head and shoulders? Yeah, he's got he's got a few commercials and, and he's got and a few, so, right? Like yeah. I think that that's got to be the attractive part. That's what you got to sell on. And I, I'm I'm fully on board with keeping him. Oh, I, I am too. You know he compliments your stars, right? And we invested more money than any team in this league's history into our four-star forwards. And you got one guy here who can play with literally all four of them. Yeah. So how valuable is that to you? Yeah, you he's he's you definitely definitely a value. And and too, like Anthony, you touched on like he's he's shooting way above his career shooting percentage. Age is going to be a factor, and, and how much does everything that we're that we're going through now, and the ramifications with the cap, you know, impact what his next contract looks like? Because if we're staring down another incomplete season next year, you know, does that play into the negotiations? His age too, like I think you said, he's turning twenty eight this June. 
you know, does that shave off some money off his next contract? Um, I think a nice sweet. When he signs his new deal. Pardon? When he when he's up for his next deal, he will be twenty nine. Yeah, so that would definitely help to shave off. Because um, I know once you know when you look at some of the upcoming contracts or just overall in the NHL, once you get to that twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, you know your earning potential starts to go down as well. Um, but you know I think that sweet spot would be in around where Kapanen and Johnson were maybe a little bit more if you wanted to give him a little bit of a bump. But that three point five to four million dollar range is probably where I would feel comfortable with, and I don't think you would have to really sacrifice too too much off the rest of the team to be able to retain such an important player like a Zach Hyman. Here's the thing, and, and this is just this is just my personal opinion. At some point, he's going to want the cash. If he's tw- turning 29 years old when his contract expires, where he's going to sit there and say, you know what, do this? Give me two million a year for the next Five years. Because why would he do that? To him, to him, I, as much as playing important, and as much as you know, he wants to be the hometown hero, whatever, whatever, Mitch, Marner, whatever, whatever, we can talk about what, everything, anything we want in that regard. I don't see a professional hockey player giving up. And if you're saying, you know, three and a half for $5 million contract, I don't see him giving up anywhere. Let's just say $15 million. Let's just, let's just put that as what he would be leaving on the table if he was to have a hometown discount and take a print deal here in Toronto. I see no scenario where he does that. And that's truthfully just because, like you said, Pat, he's a 29-year-old. At that point, he will be a 29-year-old left winger. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look what happened to Wayne Simmons. I'm not saying he's on Wayne Simmons' caliber. I'm just saying it's it's very obvious that the NHL is trending towards a younger, faster, smaller league. And I don't see teams, you know, uh, dying to, to acquire Zach Hyman at the at the trade deadline or, or sorry, at the at free agency, being 29-year-old left winger. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't see Toronto being able to resign him, resign him. Luke, at all. Luke, you, make, at that you, you make a great point, and it, it's uh, it's something else that should be mentioned here is that, um, and I think Sidney Crosby talked about this uh, on a podcast this past year is that when you, it is very hard to tell players down the line when you're negotiating. Um, hey, you need to take less because this is all we can give you. And it's very hard to convince and justify that to a player when the best players, players, yep, when the be- when the best players got ev- got every penny they could. And we're not going to go into the- we're not going to go into their four contracts. But you know what? If those four got what they deserved, I think that Zach Kaiman has that right. To, to get to to get what he deserves, right? But that's the balance, right? That Dubis has to go in into that negotiation room and say, you know what, Zach, we this is as much as we can give you. We value, we don't value. It might be as simple as saying, look, we think you're worth more, but this is as much as we can give you. And now you have to tug on, now now you have to tug on the heartstring and you'd be like, yeah. this is as much as we can give you to be be a Toronto Maple Leaf for the rest of your career. That's you know what I mean. And, down. And, I see another scenario. And 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 it, and if it's that much, you know, you know what, Zach, best of luck. Shake Absolutely. your shake his hand on the shake his hand on the way out, and you say thank you for your service. When you retire, you will be part of this alumni for the rest of your life. But uh, what else, what other choice do they have, right? This is the this is the reality now. Pat mentioned it too. There there might be a salary rollback 
this this league, the NHL is a gate revenue league, right? If there's no fans in the stands for the better part of a year and a half, how are you how are you generating? Where's the hockey related revenue coming from? It's something to think about. There's definitely sure. a, there's definitely a lot to think about. I think a lot of the players that are coming up for contracts are going to have to really consider this. Now we don't know what the cap's going to look like once Seattle's expansion fee gets processed through, and what the new TV deal would look like, and and so on. But even that new TV deal, like when are we looking at that money now? Like I know when I've written previous blogs, it was under the impression it was going to come in the next couple of years, yeah. but. Does next year push it out to a following year? Like, there's just so many questions just given the environment that we're all in. And, you know, what does the end of this year look like? And, you know, how many more points can, can he and other possible free agents and, and restricted free agents bank in, in, a, in a shortened regular season and then playoffs? Like, there's just so many unanswered questions the remainder of the year. Um, I think once we start getting clarity on what happens for this season... And then we look at what next season begins to look like. I think we'll start to see maybe some contracts get rolled back, um, because I just I just don't see there being that much money. Like I, I just realistically I think the NHL is either gonna have to figure out a way to maybe tack on a couple million, or something's gonna happen. But there's gonna be a huge reckoning coming. So that could that could work great for the Leafs, you know, considering all the cap crunches. Reading, I was reading about. Uh... I was reading that the NHL could stand to lose a billion dollars if they don't finish the season, and uh, and that is uh, that is a pretty penny. I think if I think they said if they can salvage a season in terms of this four city hub thing to finish the playoffs and stuff like that, they can salvage about half a billion, which is huge at at with given the circumstances. Yeah. But um, yeah. If I had to give a prediction about the cap, like you said, I think what they might do is they'll bump it up maybe to a couple million, maybe two, two and a half million. Let's say it's at 81.5 right now, maybe it goes to 84. But I think they'll write it, get it in writing that, okay, it'll bump up to 84 to save these free agents upcoming right now and the next year's free agents, because how could they have predicted this pandemic? Yeah. And then it's just going to stay flat for maybe two, three years. Which is an... The Leafs maybe don't want to hear. That's going to be pretty upsetting, right? But that—that's probably what we're looking at. That's the new reality. And then, and then after that three-year window where they're kind of in that recovery mode of starting to get people back in the stands and stuff like that, then you're going to see that six hundred fifty million dollar check coming in from Seattle. Um, and then you're going to see that maybe scale up, of hopefully, to ninety million. Okay, so, Seattle, so we have one more season without Seattle. Right, the twenty twenty one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So we have one more season without Seattle. That expansion money is never going to look so much prettier as it's going to after this year and a half. Like I just, I, I don't know. I I think there's just too many teams now that are pressed right up against the cap. Not only the Leafs, that the league's going to have to look at this structure now. Like you know, you're hearing teams like Chicago and Boston, and there's there's a ton of teams that are now staring down the barrel of either RFAs and their own UFAs and they're it's not just the cap problem and the cap crunch that the Leafs are facing isn't just their own it's it's going to be league-wide so it'll kind of be interesting to see you know how much even some of the small market teams would want a cap to go up just so they don't start to lose their stars either so you know it does leave us with plenty to think about plenty to follow 
But I want to thank you both for joining us on this podcast and thank you all for sending in your questions. And, you know, if we didn't get to them this time, we'll definitely get to them on the next Mailbag podcast. Uh, but, gentlemen, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, truthfully not. Stay safe, stay home, try and uh, make the best of this unfortunate opportunity, and uh, hopefully we can all get back to some Maple Leaf playoff hockey. Most definitely. Anthony, any final thoughts? Yeah. Nope. No, I just uh, wishing everybody uh, a safe and healthy uh, home uh, home staycation, we'll call it. <laughs> and, uh, and just do everything you can to... Uh, do everything you can to social keep uh, practice social distancing. Um, I guess maybe we th- I can speak for all three of us the, um, how much we thank the frontline workers uh, doing all doing all these. They're heroes, right? Like that. That's the simplest word. They're doing all this stuff to protect us, and uh, and I think they should be they should get just as much gratitude as as anybody, especially in these times. So. Thank you to them and wishing you guys a safe and healthy uh, quarantine. Most definitely. Thanks, guys. And uh, to all our listeners, stay safe. You know, thank you. If you know, if if any of you listeners are frontline workers, you know, most definitely thank you for your sacrifice. Um, I know this time hasn't been easy. A lot of you guys have spent your time away from family and friends. So, you know, thank you very much for your work and everyone stay safe.